We're going to go into this new uh, series, The Parables of Jesus. You can go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to be in that chapter. You can kind of hang out there. It says in verse 1, Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Okay, notice that Jesus was okay with the fact that a large crowd gathered around him. I've heard some people say, like, man, I don't think these large churches are okay. But it seems like Jesus is okay with a large crowd. He didn't tell these people to go away. He just made a way to minister to them, right? He got in a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. His disciples came and asked him, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. How many of you want an abundance of knowledge? But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's why I use these parables, for they look, speaking about people who don't believe in Jesus. They look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah, for the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. But blessed are your eyes. Blessed are your eyes, Generation Church, because they see, and your ears because they hear. So Jesus used parables to teach. At one point in his ministry, he just kind of switched gears and used parables as his primary vehicle for teaching. And, and Jesus is a genius. You have to understand this because he was accomplishing two different things at the same time when he used these parables. First, there was this group of people who did not like Jesus who wanted to attack him and stop his ministry. And they were looking for a way to entrap him based on the words that he spoke. Then there was this other group of people who, who were following him, who wanted to learn the truth, who wanted to have more understanding. And so by using parables, Jesus says that those who have hard hearts are not going to see. They're going to be confused. They're not going to understand. But those who want to learn, those who want to see the truth are going to gain understanding and enlightenment. So he uses these parables to simultaneously confuse his enemies and enlighten his followers. He's a genius, isn't he? Jesus is amazing. Parables are earthly analogies that explain heavenly realities. Earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And they help us to understand the kingdom of God. So tonight we're going to talk about the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Matthew 13, verse 24. Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like, and that's how parables start oftentimes. It's kind of like this. It's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night, as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crops began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed is full of weeds. Where did they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. 
So what's this all about? Let's just get a little bit of understanding. The Jews expected that when the Messiah came, he was going to overthrow the people who were oppressing them. He was going to bring an army and set them free from captivity, that their days of suffering would be over, and that the Messiah would establish a new kingdom where they would finally rule and reign the way that God intended. So when Jesus came on the scene and said, I'm the Messiah, they're like, sweet, where's your army? Because these Romans are a real problem and you need to smoke these fools, Messiah. Yet that's not what he did. He started teaching rather than fighting. And they were confused. Like, I thought the kingdom of God was here. But Jesus was teaching them that the kingdom of God doesn't always work exactly the way that you think it does. I think it's the way that some of us become Christians and we're like, man, I'm a Christian now. It's all going to be easy from here on out. But that's not the way it works, is it? How many of you know that you came to Christ and it wasn't always smooth sailing after that? And some of you were surprised, like, oh, I thought I, thought I was going to just be blessed and never stressed and no one was going to stand in my way and no weapon formed against me would prosper. And man, I'm just kind of confused by these storms that I'm facing in life right now. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, but not fully yet established the way that maybe you thought it would be. Matthew 13, verse 36. Then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house. His disciples uh, said, please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. Jesus replied, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed. The field is the world and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. So maybe you've been struggling like, Lord, I'm a Christian. Why am I still dealing with suffering and there's evil in this world all around me? People are getting murdered. There are racists. There are liars and thieves and cheaters. Why aren't you ending this suffering? Why aren't you stopping all these evildoers? And Jesus wanted you to understand through this parable that the kingdom of God has arrived but not yet. And maybe right now you're like, that doesn't make sense. You're talking nonsense right now, Pastor Ryan. I need you to know, it's a little confusing, but it's possible to understand. This parable helps us to understand. When I was in the army, sometimes we would drive in convoys, so multiple vehicles would be following each other to a destination, sometimes multiple units making up even hundreds of vehicles in a long row, stretching miles back. And when that first vehicle pulled into the destination, you could say in a manner of speaking that the convoy has arrived, but not yet fully. There are still a lot of vehicles yet to arrive. In the same way, the kingdom of heaven has arrived, but we have not yet experienced all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. We haven't yet realized every aspect of our victory. Jesus established the kingdom of heaven when he died on the cross and rose again. 
He said, it's here. Now you can be forgiven of sin. You can, be a, you can become a part of my family. Um, you can receive the Holy Spirit who will live inside of you, which will give you power over sin and the ability to live for Christ. The kingdom of heaven is here, but not yet fully. And that's the world we're living in today. The kingdom is here, but we're still surrounded by weeds. There are still enemies of Jesus living around us. There's still evil in this world. So you've experienced victory and received victory through Jesus, but you haven't yet seen every part of that victory. We read that Jesus is the farmer. He brings the good news, which allows us to become wheat, right? And that's who we are. But then the enemy, the devil, is still scattering seeds of lies and deception. Anyone who believes his lies, they spring up as weeds and they rebel against God. And, and eventually, that's going to result in them facing eternal punishment. So as you see weeds prospering around you and you see hardship and you see evil and suffering all around you, you need to know that this parable teaches us there will come a day when the Lord returns and sends his angels and they will remove all who do evil and those evil doers along with the devil and his demons will be cast into hell. All right, so the Lord will smoke the weeds and don't use that as an excuse to try to justify you smoking weed, all right? Just, just don't do it. And all those who are righteous will be gathered to him and live forever with him in glory. So we have this to look forward to. We're going to kind of tease that out a little bit. But also maybe look at this parable of the wheat and the weeds. And I think there are some other things that God wants to highlight to us about uh, through this parable, rather. So here's the first thing, if you're taking notes. We love wheat. We love wheat. In this parable, Jesus breaks people down into two categories. There's wheat. There's weeds. You're for him or you're against him. You're his family or you're his enemy. You're in or you're out. You get the picture? Only two categories. There is no other option. There's no neutral territory. He says, you're my family or you're my enemy. And there are many people in this world living, thinking they're neutral towards God. Like, I'm good with God. I like Jesus. He seems like a nice guy, but I'm not sure I want to do all the Jesus things that you Christians do. I'm still figuring things out, right? If you're not for him, you need to realize that means you're actually against him. And just know that those who oppose the Lord eventually will lose and lose their opportunity to change their mind. So he says there's wheat and there's weeds. Do you know that there are actually over 23 species of wheat? Multiple kinds of wheat. Some of them are good for different things. Like some kinds of wheat, they prosper in cold environments, whereas other types of wheat wouldn't have done so well. Sometimes need more water than other types of wheat. And that's just the thing. There's multiple types of wheat, and it makes me think about the fact that there are multiple types of Christians. They have the same essential beliefs their core doctrines are solid, that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again on the third day, that we can be saved by grace through faith in him alone. That's essential, right? If you don't believe those things, you cannot be a Christian. Those are close-handed issues. If you don't agree, we're going to fight like spiritually, right? Like we can't be in the same church. We can't get along to get along. Like that's a deal breaker. Like some of you have relationships where there are certain deal breakers. That's a deal breaker with God. But then there are these secondary issues. 
They're important, but they're not as important. And you don't have to agree on these secondary issues in order to be a Christian. There are, there's room for disagreement because there's certain things in the Bible that we read and we try to figure out, well, what did God mean by that? Or how does this work? And the truth is, here's the secret. We don't know. We don't know for sure. We can be pretty sure. We can say, oh, I think it's this, but it might be this. But we don't know for sure. And so different Christians, they sometimes have different opinions about these secondary issues. And they'll end up oftentimes forming up in groups with people who are passionate about the same secondary issues as they are. They form different groups and different denominations. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a problem when people in certain groups decide that they're going to be mean towards or attack other groups other groups, other Christians who also believe in Jesus. And I'm not okay with that. That's a problem. Christians should not attack Christians because we're all wheat, right? And we don't want to see wheat on wheat violence. It's not good because we're all wheat. You have to be, you're either wheat or you're not wheat. So spiritually, you have to be either wheat or a weed. You cannot be spiritually gluten-free. You can... Naturally, it's possible. Spiritually, not possible. You have to be a wheat. Okay, wheat or weed. Choose one or the other. So the problem is when Christians attack Christians, it undermines the cause of Christ. In John 13, verse 34, Jesus said this. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You loving other Christians proves to the world that you're a follower of Jesus. You fighting with other Christians undermines the message of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, love each other. Love each other. So when it comes to these different theological issues, understand that there's room for disagreement when it comes to secondary issues. I did seminary and studied theology, and at the end of seminary, I felt like I knew less than when I started. I didn't feel smarter, right? I learned things, but I realized, man, there's so much that, that, that we don't know, that we can't even understand. And so we need to walk in humility knowing that nobody has perfect theology. There's no group or denomination that has perfect understanding of God and his ways. I'm just going to spoil it for you and just tell you that, that none of them are perfect. I think we're going to get to heaven and find out that a lot of us, we're wrong about some things. It's just like we're going to be saved because we placed our faith in Jesus. That's what matters most. But there will be other issues where it'll be like, oh, I was, I was wrong about that. <laughs> I, think, I think it's going to be hilarious, actually. I think, I think Jesus is going to throw a party and we're all going to gather together. And he's going to go through the different secondary issues, the different doctrinal positions. And he's just going to call people out who are wrong, right? Like he's just going to go down the list. Like who got women in ministry right? Oh, you're all wrong. And eh. who got speaking in tongues right? Oh, you guys are all wrong. Eh. Like and he's just going to go down the list. Like, hey, uh, who, who figured out the day I was going to come back? None of you did. You're all wrong. Right? Like nobody's going to get 100% on that test except Jesus. So we shouldn't walk through life thinking that we've got it all figured out. There are things that I believed about God when I was 25 that now I look back on and realize I was dumb. And it'll probably happen again when I'm 45. So we walk with humility and we know that what's important is for us to agree on the important primary issues that Jesus is God 
that we're only saved by faith in him. Uh, secondary issues are interesting to talk about. You can have a, a conversation with a friend over coffee. What do you think about this? But they're not things that we should fight about or argue about or debate in public about where our debate can sometimes get too heated and to the world look like Christians are fighting with Christians. Do you know what I'm talking about? Facebook is not the place to debate secondary theological issues. Let's just say it's a good thing we're saved by grace and not because we're good theologians. Because the truth is we're bad theologians. That's why God had to break it down to a kindergarten level and Jesus said you only need faith like a child to be saved. He didn't say you need understanding like a scholar. He said you need childlike faith. Come to me like a child in order to be saved. That's all it takes. So we don't understand spiritual truth because we're intelligent. We only understand truth because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to see the truth. So we have no room to be prideful and look down on other groups of Christians who have different opinions or maybe they haven't realized some things that, that you realize. Like, like we walk in humility and say, well, the Lord is the one who revealed this to me, so I'm gonna trust the Lord to reveal truth to them in his own timing. And even if we never agree, we're both wheat and we're gonna love each other. Romans 14 verse one says, accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them. Don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. And then Pastor Ryan will eat their meat. <laughs> but this applies to a lot of things. Like some believers think it's okay to drink alcohol and other believers, they feel like I, I shouldn't do this. Some believers, they, they think certain things are okay for them to watch on television. Other believers feel like, man, I can't watch that. But verse 3 says this, Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Right? Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So their own master will judge them. Guess what? You're not their master. Right? Jesus is. He will judge. So we should be gracious and gentle towards other Christians because we're both wheat, even if we have different secondary theological positions, right? And we can live together in harmony and have love for one another. In this very church, there are people who disagree about certain secondary issues. They disagree with me on some issues. But we still live together in harmony. We still love each other. We don't fight. That's what love looks like. The worst thing that could happen is for a Christian to look at someone else who has different positions and say, oh, you can't be a real Christian. Oh, that's not right. That would be condemning someone else who the Lord has accepted. So we want to be gracious and gentle and loving towards other types of wheat. And I honestly think we need each other. I think that we're better together. And the more I've learned about different groups and denominations, I've kind of realized that they honestly have certain areas where they're each strong. Like you have multiple kids in a family and they're all good at different things, right? Yeah. 
Like when I was in the army in Iraq, they had these chapel services and it was hard to get to chapel on Sunday, get to go to church. And so you just went when you had an opportunity to go. So sometimes I would go to these different services from different groups and denominations. I went to this one Anglican service sometimes where the priest is like wearing a robe. I went to this gospel service and like I was the only white guy there. I went to this Christian service and the music wasn't very good. So I went back to the gospel service. And what I realized is all these groups love Jesus and they have different strengths. I grew up in a Pentecostal church and, and then when I went to seminary, I went to a Baptist seminary. So now I'm Baptocostal. Not really. That's not a real thing. But I think I, I learned some good things from both groups. Like um, I, I learned, you know, from my roots growing up, I learned how to worship God and just be passionate about God. But I learned from other groups like, man, you need the Bible in your sermons. Like you need scripture. I learned like, man, I pray in tongues, but also like I'm not crazy, you know. Yeah. Like, I have these kind of different feel. Like, I want to let the Holy Spirit move, but I also want to get out of church on time most weeks. You know? Like, just like, so that's good, right? Except for last week. We got out really late last week. <laughs> no, the point is, in seriousness, the point is that I think these different groups all bring strength to the kingdom of God, and we can learn things from each other and challenge each other. I have good friends who are parts of other denominations, and I've challenged them to think differently, and they've challenged me to look at things differently. But I think we're better together rather than divided and fighting with each other. We're all wheat. So we should love we. And I want to emphasize that we should also love leaders and pastors from other groups and traditions. The Bible talks about false teachers who deny Christ, and that's not what I'm talking about right now. That's a different issue. I'm talking about brothers in Christ who are pastors and have large public ministries, maybe even, and they get a lot of criticism from other Christians. And I hear criticism of these guys sometimes, like guys who have a large platform. I think about like Joel Osteen or T.D. Jakes or Mark Driscoll or Stephen Furtick or Rick Warren or Perry Noble, guys who have built large churches. They have large platforms and Christians will just attack them and snipe at them and talk bad about them. And I want you to realize that's not loving the wheat well. It's not what we're called to do. And people will be like, Ryan, those leaders are controversial. I need you to understand that all leaders are controversial. You can't lead people without offending people. It's just the truth of the matter. When you lead people, some people will be offended. They'll hate on you and they'll get on Facebook and talk about you in all caps, right? That's, what, that's just what happens. And, and I'm confessing too. I'm not, I'm not just talking about what you should do. I'm confessing. I grew up in church and I was around a lot of church growing up, even though I didn't always really serve Jesus truthfully. But I grew up in church and I was terrible towards pastors sometimes. I was so critical, so stuck up like, oh, that's stupid. He shouldn't do that. We shouldn't be doing this. Churches shouldn't do that. Like I had a clue what I was talking about. I didn't. But God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? He's like, you just wait, son. <laughs> and now I realize I had no idea what I was talking about. And I honestly still to this day, I, I sometimes feel bad about some of the things I said. I'm like trying to accept God's forgiveness, but I was such a brat. <laughs> it's, just, it's just me, okay? It's just me. And the Lord showed me, do you know who else criticized his pastor? Judas. Jesus allowed himself to be anointed with expensive perfume, and Judas was in the back of the room criticizing his pastor. Like, oh, look at Jesus. What a waste. We should have sold that perfume and 
giving the money to the poor. Criticism, criticism, criticism. And I was like, I don't want to be like Judas. I don't want to be like that. I think about what scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Elders who lead effectively, and the word elders also means like pastor or bishop. It's the same, same Greek word. Elders who lead effectively are worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. Notice the words lead effectively. Lead effectively. People don't talk trash about leaders who don't accomplish anything. They talk about those who make a difference. And why do they make a difference? Because they lead effectively. And when they make a difference, some people are going to have different opinions. There will be people along the way who will criticize them as leaders. Think about Moses in the book of Exodus. God's people were attacking him. They were criticizing him. They were even talking about stoning him. The leader whom God had appointed to lead these people. Pastors are held to a higher standard by God. And I want to emphasize that. They are held to a higher standard by God, not by you. I've had people criticize pastors and be like, well, they're held to a higher standard, right? But who are you to judge another master's servant, right? So, so just understand that we're living in a day or age where people will say the most terrible things about leaders and criticize them. Leaders they don't know, leaders they've never met, um, just because they have a public platform. And if you've ever been in a position where someone is trying to find something to criticize you about, it's really overwhelming and difficult. I think it really grieves the heart of God when people talk this way. And so I want to caution you to never fall into that trap where you talk critically about leaders who you don't know, who it's not your job to judge. Oh, I heard he said this. Oh, I heard he said that. I heard he did this. I heard he punched a puppy in the face. I heard he hates babies. I heard this. I heard that. It's toxic. That's why 1 Timothy 5.19 says, do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. But those who persist in sin should be rebuked in front of everyone so that others will stand in fear of sin. So here's what this means. We shouldn't even listen to an accusation against an elder unless it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. Notice witnesses, not two or three gossipers. I heard blah, 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 blah. I heard blah, 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 blah. I don't like blah, 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 blah. Right? Witnesses. Don't even listen. Like, I don't even want to listen to this. I don't want to listen to your critical talk. But then if a pastor does persist in sin, the Bible says he should be rebuked in front of everyone. Like, that doesn't apply to you. If you're not a pastor and you sin, we're not going to rebuke you publicly. But a pastor should be, because then it stands as a warning to other leaders. Don't fall into that trap. And that's important. We understand this is what God's word says. Jesus wants this to be a church where we honor people, we honor leaders, and that includes those from other tribes than our own because they're wheat, right? We're wheat and they're wheat. We're supposed to love each other. And at this church, we don't want to be known for who we're against, but who we're for. We're for wheat. We're not looking to be against people. We're not trying to find something bad in other people. We're trying to celebrate what's best in other people. We're not looking for an excuse to throw stones at people. We're looking for an excuse to show love. Like, just give me an excuse to love you, right? Like, just give me a chance. I'm so ready to hug you right now. Like, not in a creepy way, but I just want to love you. Because you're wheat, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We love wheat. Here's the next thing. We don't envy weeds. These other points aren't as long. Don't worry. We don't envy weeds. During Jesus' day, his followers were suffering. But at the same time, it seemed like 
everyone else was still doing pretty well. Have you ever felt frustrated that you're trying to follow Jesus and you're trying to resist sin? You're trying to do what's right, but it still seems like sinners are, are also doing okay and getting ahead? And, and you're there trying to resist sin and other people are giving into sin and it seems like they're doing just fine. And if you're not careful as a Christian, you can look at other people and be like, well, why am I doing all this? Because that guy seems to be doing just fine. He seems like he's having a good old time doing whatever he wants. Maybe I should, maybe I should do that too. Envying the weeds. Wheat should not envy the weeds. Sometimes it does look like they're doing okay, doesn't it? Sometimes it does look like they're having fun when they're sinning and doing what God calls wrong. Hebrews 11.25 calls it the fleeting pleasures of sin. So they might experience pleasure as they sin, but it's temporary. And when it's over, it only leaves emptiness and dissatisfaction. But as Christians, sometimes we can be tempted and we can see what they're doing and, and think, man, am I missing out? We shouldn't envy weeds. Don't be surprised that God is allowing the weeds to grow alongside you in culture, in society, at your workplace, in your neighborhood. He's allowing them to grow. And sometimes it seems like they're doing all right. But the thing is that weeds do grow fast, don't they? They grow faster than a lot of crops, but they're never fruitful. They grow fast, but they're never fruitful. And sometimes weeds actually even look pretty. Don't they? I've seen weeds that look pretty. Like I was like, oh, what a pretty flower! I should, I should pick that and bring Amy a bouquet. And those like dudes like, no, that's a weed, bro. Like you don't, don't bring her that. That will not say what you want to say. It's just, a, it's pretty looking, but it's not good for anything. Christians should not envy the world. We should not be longing for what they have, or looking back at what we left behind. Ephesians three two says, "You used to live in sin." just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in this unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. The world will tell you, do what you want. Do what makes you happy. Do what feels good. That's called following the passionate desires and inclinations of your sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. In other words, we were weeds too. And we were destined for destruction just like everyone else. But verse four says, God is so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. Remember, you're not who you used to be. As a Christian, don't look back at what you left behind and long for sin. Remember that that's what you used to do. And it looks like the weeds are having fun. It looks like they're doing okay, but they're weeds. And ultimately, they're heading to a place that you don't want to go. We shouldn't be pitying ourselves and longing for what they have. We should be pitying them and trying to bring them what we have. Bring them life. Bring them Jesus. Don't envy weeds. That would be sad. Here's the last thing. We trust God to deal with the weeds. It's not our job to take care of them, to root them out. God will deal with them in the right time. So during Jesus' day, he was teaching these parables and he had announced that the kingdom of God was here, but a lot of his disciples, they were still suffering and they were wondering, why are we going through this? When are you gonna change things for us? And I think many Christians are still wondering that today. It's one of the most commonly asked questions. Why does God allow 
evil in the world? Why does God allow suffering in the world today? Why doesn't he stop all this? John the Baptist, Jesus' own cousin, was wondering the same thing when he was thrown into prison and he was sitting there going like, did I get it wrong? He sent some of his boys to ask Jesus, are you really the one we were waiting for or should we be waiting on someone else? Are you who we thought you were? And when you're going through a difficult time, when you're struggling in life, you'll be tempted to ask God, are you who I thought you were? Do you really care about me the way that I thought you did? Are you going to do what you said you would? Can I trust you? I think the first lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden ultimately boiled down to this. God's not who you think he is and you can't trust him. All sin grows from this lie. You can't trust God. He's not really good. His ways aren't really good. When you're going through a hard time, when you're going through a storm, don't fall into the temptation that you might believe God is not good. He, he is, that's a lie that comes from the enemy. That's the enemy going through the field and sowing weeds. He's, he's sowing seeds of distrust to God that will spring into weeds of rebellion. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. God is good. And even when your situation is not good, he is. Matthew 13, verse 40 says, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So if you go through hardship and maybe you've been abused, maybe you've been taken advantage of, maybe you've suffered because evil people have done evil things. And honestly, we have it pretty good in America, but there are places around this world where evil people cause incredible suffering to people. And it's terrible. It's tragic. You look at situations like that, it'd be easy to ask, like, how is God allowing this to happen? But the Bible says that there will come a day when the Lord sorts out the weeds and the wheat and all evil is punished. Evil doers, the devil, his demons, everyone who has rejected God will be thrown into hell for eternity. And it's not a one-time punishment where they kind of are annihilated and cease to exist. It's an ongoing eternal suffering. There is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is sorrow and pain. This is hell. Hell is a real place. Some people have a hard time with that. They think, well, I don't know. Could a loving God really send people to hell? Listen, hell is real whether you like it or not. It's either real or Jesus is a liar. You can't say you trust Jesus and then also try to tell me that hell's not real. It's a re and, and some people don't like to talk about it because they think, well, that's just not pleasant to talk about. It's much worse to go there. So we need to talk about it. All sinners will go to hell. And here's the thing, we've all sinned. We've all sinned. We're all equally guilty. We've all fallen short of God's standard. We all deserve hell. I know your mom told you you were special and you could do no wrong, but we've all sinned and we're all heading towards hell unless, unless we cry out to God and ask him to save us and forgive us of sin. And when we do that, when we place our faith in him, what the Bible says is that our sins are still punished. It's just that we're not the ones who are punished for our sins. Our punishment is counted in the punishment that Jesus Christ experienced on the cross, right? 
and I don't know about you, but because I have this great debt for my sin, I'm a big fan of the idea of letting Jesus pay the debt for me. Because yeah. yeah. the, the alternative is not pleasant. I don't want to be, I want to receive this gift of eternal life. I want to be forgiven. And I want to understand that God is good and that if he didn't actually punish sin, he wouldn't be a good God. He wouldn't be a just God. If you hear someone say a loving God wouldn't send people to hell, you need to understand that's a lie. If he didn't, sin, if he didn't punish sin, he couldn't be loving. And if you've ever experienced evil, if someone's ever abused you or hurt you or taken advantage of you and never faced justice, you know how frustrating and discouraging that is. It's terrible. But all, and all evil will be, here's the thing, our justice system does not do a good job of punishing, just, of punishing evil. From the Department of Justice, here are some t- statistics. On average, out of 1,000 assault and batteries, only 33 people go to jail. Out of a thousand robberies, only twenty people go to jail on average, and out of a thousand rapes, only five rapists go to jail. So God punishing evil is fulfilling justice and bringing justice where it's needed. And honestly, justice would be Him punishing us, but because of His great mercy and His love for us, He sent Jesus to die for us when we were dead in sin and still sinners, and not even wanting His love. So we know God is going to punish evil. He's going to punish sin. But as Christians, we have this comfort. We know that our sins have already been punished. They were punished on the cross. Now we receive forgiveness. And in God's sight, we're made righteous. Even though we have sinned, God sees us as his children. Even though you and I might still struggle with sin and sometimes actually commit sins, even though we're Christians, God looks at us and sees us covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Those sins are also counted in the work of Jesus on the cross. And we're still supposed to confess and repent of sin. We're still supposed to avoid it. But we know that we can't do anything to make God love us less than he does right now. If our trust is in Christ, our eternity is secure. So when you think about God and punishing evil, and and maybe you ask yourself, like, why is he waiting so long? Like, when is he gonna do this? I just saw another school shooting on the news. Like, what is he waiting for? There's all this suffering. Understand what the Bible says, 2 Peter 3, verse nine. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Maybe you're like, oh, it seems slow. Jesus did his thing 2,000 years ago. It seems like a long time, but it's not as you understand slowness. (laughs) A day is like a 1,000 years to God. He's being patient because he wants to give everyone an opportunity to experience Salvation. He wants to allow people to experience forgiveness. He wants to give you an opportunity to be saved. So, so maybe you thought, why wouldn't he end suffering? Why is he letting this happen? I, I, just think about, like, think about um, throughout history things that have happened. I thought about during World War II how somewhere between 70 to 85 million people died. So many people died, they don't even know how many people died. It'd be easy to look at that and say, God, how can you be allowing this to happen? I mean, this would have been a really good time to send Jesus back and end evil, end suffering. All this terrible thing, all these things are happening. Like, why are you like, but think about it, right? How many of us accepted Jesus after World War II? 
all of us did, right? Okay, like I don't think anybody here is that old. Um, we all did. And if the Lord had come back and ended suffering and ended evil, he would have also been ending the opportunity for evil people to be saved. If he had come back then, none of us would have heard the gospel, none of us would have received eternal life, and none of us would have been living with the Lord for eternity in heaven. But he's so patient. He's willing to allow evil to continue for a little while so that those who are called and chosen can be saved, so that we can be saved and come to repentance. But there will come a day when time will run out, when evil will be punished, when the weeds will be gathered, and the wheat will be gathered. So the question is, when that day comes, which category are you gonna be in? Are you gonna be wheat? Are you gonna be weeds? We trust God to deal with the weeds, but one of the things we love, we love to see weeds transformed into weed, wheat, right? How many of you know, like, I used to be a weed spiritually, but God changed me into wheat, right? There's no natural way for that to happen. Only by supernatural transformation can we be brought to life when we were spiritually dead. God did that for us, and now we're trying to help other people experience the same salvation. We want to go to the world. We want to go out amongst the weeds, bringing them the good news of Jesus Christ, and invite them to experience the same spiritual transformation. Would you like to continue on this path towards destruction, or would you like to accept the goodness of God and be forgiven? You, you have an opportunity to choose. You can be for him, you can be family, or you can be against him. You can be an enemy. Our job is to use this time while we have it to help other people come into the kingdom of God. It's established, but it's not yet fully here. We can't wait. We can't take our time. You can only take your time in making a decision when you know how much time you have. But you don't know how much time you have. You don't know when your time's going to run out. Your life could end this week. Your life could end in 20 years. I don't know. You don't know. We don't know when Jesus is going to return. He could, have, he could come back in our lifetime. It could be the next generation. We don't know. But when, when it's over, it's over. The Bible says it's appointed to a man to die once and then comes judgment. So there's no reincarnation. There's no second chances. There's no purgatory where you get to sit and maybe kind of work off your crimes. When it's over, your opportunity to receive Jesus is over and everyone who rejects Jesus actually gets what they wanted for all eternity. Everyone who rejects Jesus gets what they wanted. They get eternity apart from Jesus. Everyone who accepts Jesus gets what they want for all eternity. They get eternity with Jesus. So I just want to throw that out there for you. Like, which will you be? What are you going to do when it comes to helping weeds become wheat? Are you going to bring the gospel to them? Are you going to help them experience the same transformation? And some of you, if you're in the room tonight, and maybe you're like, right now, I am not a friend of God. I'm not for him. I have not been with him. I've been against him. I realize right now that, man, I thought, I thought it was okay, but now I realize like, I, I don't want to continue on and be in that category. I don't want to be a weed. I don't want to be his enemy. I want to be for him. So this is an opportunity tonight. God brought you here for the purpose to give you this opportunity. If you're here and you need to accept Jesus tonight and you say, I'm not going to continue on as an enemy of God. I want to be for him. I want to be wheat. I want to be his people. Then tonight's your night. Let's bow our heads. Just close your eyes for a minute. And if you're ready tonight to take this step of faith, I'm going to invite you to pray with me to say, Lord, I want what you have for me. Just say this. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit that I need your forgiveness. And I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sins because you're merciful. 
I believe that Jesus rose again on the third day so that I could have eternal life and victory over death. I wanna follow you from this day forward. I receive your love. I wanna serve you for the rest of my days and live for your glory. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.